Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's got a dope soul and hella ethics. It's my sister, Marissa. Does that mean I'm a 13 out of 10? Wait, is that what that was? No, that was the that was his other scale, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I never know with Jason. <laughs> yeah, he is... He, he He's just got... He's like in his own universe in this episode. He's like over there yeah. playing with his flip flops. <laughs> he's like, yeah. "Hey guys!" <laughs> While they're all having like an existential crisis, he's just like, "Yeah, flip flops." He has no idea that anybody's in trouble at all. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who are just tuning in for our guilty knowledge rewatch, we are on episode eight of season one, which is called "Most Improved Player," I believe. Yes. Most Improved Player, which is a reference to one of Michael's lines later in the episode. Uh, But before we get to the recap, uh, I'll do some quick housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and goodplay.cast.rocks. If you're on iTunes and you want to leave us a review, that would be lovely. That would, you know, give you a couple points to get you into the good place. (laughs) And uh, you can follow and like us on Facebook. We have a, a group called The Good Play on twitter at the good play pod and at gmail at the good play pod at gmail.com you can send us an email no emails this week by the way we've started getting some more- no emails <laughs> oh, okay i was gonna say we were like on a roll with the emails but uh we're, we're back in a lull so if anybody wants to send us an email you'll get a shout out and that is the most valuable thing in the world yeah <laughs> yes a shout out from a podcast that 50 people listen to on a good <laughs> on day on a good day <laughs> so would you like to get into the recap absolutely Alrighty. this this episode has a lot of plot in it it had a lot going on uh i don't want to i don't want to make this recap hellishly long or anything but it is there's a lot of plot going on we open on eleanor outside michael's office in the same position she was at the beginning of the first episode where she's staring at that wall that says everything is fine. And he calls her in, but he's a lot more sober this time. Michael says he's confused. He doesn't know how this mix-up occurred because, of course, she just confessed at the end of the last episode to being a mistake in the neighborhood. Eleanor tells him that he got her name right, but everything else wrong. Michael asks Janet to locate Eleanor's file, but Janet is still rebooting and she keeps handing Michael cacti instead of Eleanor's <laughs> file. Which we see cacti again in season two. Do we? Yeah. What's in the context? One of the, well, in all of the um, promotional materials, she's holding balloons in a field of cacti. And then oh, um, that's right. We're, this is and, the bad place, right? Yeah, and then there's one like very quick shot of cacti, like a field of cacti. Because Janet cannot get a hold of Eleanor's file at the moment, Michael decides to give her a very simple quiz about whether she is good or bad. 
and ask such questions as, you know, did you ever have a vanity license plate? And have you ever taken your shoes and socks off on a commercial airliner? And of course, Eleanor says, and socks? No, who would do that? People who go to the bad place, Eleanor. <laughs> and yeah, it's something like, like, it's like, have you ever murdered anyone? Right. Have you ever committed or arson? Harassed someone. <laughs> have you yeah. sexually harassed anyone? Have you ever taken your shoes and socks off on a commercial airline? And, you know, you could end up going to hell with murderers and arsonists and people who take their socks off on an airplane. <laughs> Michael's pretty pessimistic. I mean, okay, let me just get this out of the way. I- I'm going to, I'm going to refer to Michael through this episode as though he's acting in good faith and honestly when we know he's not but I don't want to yeah. couch everything with apparently and he seems to be like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk like he he's is. actually being honest yeah I mean we know that this is the guilty knowledge rewatch so I think we're all on the yes. same page so Michael seems pretty pessimistic about her chances of staying in the good place we cut to outside Michael's office where Tahani is talking at Chidi, and Tahani is super mad and super haughty about the whole thing. And Chidi is sort of vibrating with anxiety because Tahani assumes that Eleanor killed Janet, but of course Chidi did accidentally, but still. And so Chidi's like, yeah, can we just like ease up a little bit? And also I think he legitimately thinks that Tahani's being way too hard on Eleanor. Yeah, and also uh, Tahani says that she has sympathy for Chidi because, you know, oh, you found out your soulmate is a fraud. And the of course, the dramatic irony there is that so is hers. Yeah, and Jason is just sitting there completely oblivious. <laughs> With flip flops on oblivious. his hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Eleanor finishes the questionnaire and Michael's pleased that she did well. But then Michael brings out um, a lie detector that lights up red when you tell a lie and lights up green when you tell the truth and he asks her if she killed janet she says no and he asks her if she knows who did she says yes and he he says will you tell me who and she says no and he mentions that anyone who was involved in janet's murder committed a bad act and therefore will be judged and and might have to go to the bad place themselves michael puts eleanor back in the waiting area and calls tahani in and eleanor explains to chidi and jason that he has a lie detector and she's really freaked out and he's and that he's going to find out that Chidi killed Janet and Chidi kind of freaks out and Eleanor's like well Kant would say you should never lie but on the other hand snitches get stitches <laughs> and Chidi's like you just extemporaneously you know quoted Kant this might be the happiest day of my life and Eleanor's like that's a real bummer of a life <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I love that <laughs> it's a little it's a little harsh the writing, I mean, I, the writing is great all around, but the writing in this episode, particularly good. The, a lot of, like, very quick humor in this episode. Absolutely. Michael questions Tahani as to whether Eleanor really belongs in the good place. And Tahani clearly doesn't think she does, but also doesn't want to be painted with a mean brush. And so doesn't want to admit that's what she thinks. Well, is it not she who wants us to leave her? Thank you, Tahani. You've been a big help. Eleanor and Chidi are prepping Jason for his talk with Michael, and 
Jason says he's going to tell Michael, you got a dope soul in hella ethics. And Eleanor's like, what? Don't do that. Don't say anything. <laughs> no, no, no. He said, she says, just smile and nod. So Michael calls Jason in and Michael's just sort of monologuing at him. And Jason smiles and nods a couple times. He sh- yes. And a couple times he shakes his head instead. And then at one point he puts out his finger and pricks it on a cactus and Michael's like oh I see the cactus in and of itself means no harm it is only when we interfere that it becomes harmful (laughs) I must remember my own agency thank you John you owe your wisdom and Jason's like okay bye (laughs) (laughs) takes a cactus with him Yes, he does take the cactus with him. So then Michael's about to call Chidi in, but Janet finally shows up actually with Eleanor's file, not with a cactus. And Michael says, hey, I've got this summary sheet of the most profound impacts on your score, you know, positive and negative. And positive, we find out that Eleanor had a cousin who was quote unquote messed up, which I assume is, you know, she was addicted to drugs or something. And she ha- and the cousin has a daughter, and Eleanor would take the daughter out uh, to the mall to get churro dogs. Churro dogs. <laughs> I would it's love a, a, I would love a churro. I, you know, you leave yeah. the dog off. It's a it's a hot dog with the buns are churros, and it's tied together with a slim jim, and it comes with unlimited ranch dressing. Oh God, yeah, I know. And she says it's an Arizona delicacy. <laughs> you think that's a real thing? No, I do not. If we have any <laughs> listeners in Arizona, get at us because I really need to know. But I can't imagine that's a real thing. Blah. I don't know. The world is stranger than we would like to believe. <laughs> then Michael asks about what is obviously a major demerit on her record, which is the tale of... And I'm... I, I, so we don't curse on this show. We we pretty much follow the tenets of uh, of the show itself. But I am about to say a word that is slightly off color. So if you listen with little kids, just be aware of that. But Eleanor tells the tale of dress bitch. Of I think we've the, said dress bitch before on this podcast. Uh, we probably have. I'm just trying to be. I'm trying to be mindful. Yeah. So Eleanor has these two roommates, one of which we named Haley a long time ago. <laughs> the other yeah. is Dress Bitch. Oh, that's, yeah, we definitely called her Dress her, her Bitch. Na- her the, real name is two. Madison. That's right. Oh, that's a yeah. that's a great Dress Bitch name. <laughs> that's like the perfect so, Dress Bitch name. Yeah. So Eleanor stole Dress Bitch's dress for a party, ripped it, lied about it. Dress Bitch shoes the dry cleaner. Internet turns the story viral from the dry cleaner's POV. Names her Dress Bitch. Eleanor and Haley make Dress Bitch t-shirts. Sell them at a huge profit. Eleanor buys the dress she ripped for like a thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. And Michael is just like, what is even happening right it now? It just like keeps getting worse because they go back and forth with the flashbacks and He's like, well, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Eleanor rips a dress and then he's like, well, obviously you apologized and owned up to it. And she's like, "Mm." and then, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, well, obviously you did this. And she's like, "Ah." and then then he's like, don't tell me you sold the T-shirts for a profit. And she's like, 
does it help if I tell you that they basically sold themselves? <laughs> and he says, I think you know it does not. Yeah, and, you know, at the end, he's just, he just looks, he, like, all the color is drained from his face. He's, like, so horrified. So Michael asks Eleanor if, given what she knows about her neighborhood mates, does she think she belongs in the good place? And she says no. So Michael takes out a little intercom and calls Trevor, your boyfriend, Adam Scott, in the bad place, tells him, you know, I think you've been, you might be missing someone named Eleanor Shellstrop. She's here. Come get her. And Eleanor looks pretty flabbergasted by this turn of events, even though she just admitted she doesn't think she belongs in the good place. A train pulls up to the neighborhood. Trevor and a bunch of demons get off. Trevor is terrible and is wearing a dress bitch t-shirt. That his <laughs> one is is like vajazzled. Bedazzled. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to say vajazzled. <laughs> his one is is vajazzled in a way that the, yes. they, the they weren't when they were selling them uh, in the flashback. Maybe he vajazzled it himself, <laughs> <laughs> or he had bad Janet do it for him. Yeah. Eleanor is, like, hiding behind Michael. It's so painful. Yeah. And Trevor wants to go immediately, but Michael convinces him to let her have some goodbyes, and she's, she, we see her packing in her house, which I don't, I don't know what she thinks she's taking with her. I, <laughs> they're not gonna let her have things in the bed. That's like That's a good question. I don't know. She's telling Cheetah, you know, once again, I have to reiterate, this whole good place, bad place thing is just a is a bunch of bullshit and there should be a medium place for people who sucked but in a fun chill way (laughs) (laughs) i kind of want to talk about that in our discussion section because i love the way she categorized that people who sucked but in a fun chill way so she apologizes to chidi and she puts her hand out to shake his hand but he stands up and and draws her into this big hug and the look on her face i was like hmm this is i know they're not romantic in this incarnation but like that's very warm. It's a very warm hug. Yeah. <laughs> Tahani and Jason come over to say goodbye. It looks like Tahani has, like, thawed a little bit. Eleanor ends up hugging her and saying goodbye and saying, you know, you guys are my friends. And she's very regretful about this whole situation, obviously. Chidi drops Eleanor off at the train station. El- uh, Trevor acts like a an MRA and <laughs> tells her to smile more. <laughs> Ugh. Eleanor boards the train and it's all this like comically terrible train service stuff about how it's going to make a million stops and it's the cabin is too hot and the dining car is closed. And the dining car only serves room temperature clam chowder, which is a sh- I wasn't you know, going to revisit that stomach turning part of it. <laughs> but they revisit it again in season two and, one, and you know, the iteration that has the clam chowder fountain. So it's like you see all these ways. But it's, I just point that I mean, it's super gross, but I just pointed out because you see all these ways that the writers are becoming self-referential with how they're sort of seeding that this is the bad place. Right. So Cheney barges into Michael's office, confesses to Janet's murder and that he's known the whole time. And importantly, he says Eleanor is learning. She's just doing it after she died. And Michael says, this isn't Little League. There's no reward for most improved player and Chidi's like maybe there should be you know in a very like forward for Chidi sort of way so Michael storms onto the train and rescues Eleanor and he tells Trevor that it's an unprecedented situation and 
you know, they have to work things out. And Trevor says, fine, but we're keeping the real Eleanor. And then we they were introduced to the quote-unquote real Eleanor, who is, of course, Vicky. And that is the end of the episode. And before you launch into anything, let me just say, this episode makes no sense on Rewatch. It makes no kind of sense. Well, why don't we talk about that first, then? It makes no sense. Because my, my whole, my like, my first discussion point is my boyfriend is here. <laughs> So I think I think that can wait. <laughs> My irrational Every... love of Adam Scott. Well, I think it's it's a rational love of Adam Scott and an irrational love of Trevor the Demon. Yes, that's exactly oh, what Trevor, it is. Oh, Trevor, they got him. <laughs> they got him with a stake through the heart. <laughs> Listeners, um, uh, we just hopped in a time portal back to like 2000 and... Oh no, what? no child. No, in like 1999. <laughs> anyway, this episode makes no sense on rewatch. Okay. It, Talk to me about that. Because at every point, the thing that Michael is doing, it's like, what is happening? What is, what is his endgame here? Like, what is his plan? It doesn't make any sense. How did he... he the train was pulling away and Cheedy had to go and intervene was were they gonna let Eleanor pull off in the bad place train otherwise to what end I, going where so I have I think I'm I have something about your larger point here that I'll get to in a second but I actually when I was re-watching it for this I actually thought about the train like Trevor with his feet up and the microphone like going through all the terrible things about the train and in the moment it sort of played for comic relief and you know just setting us up for how terrible everything is going to be but i do wonder if he just went through that litany of stuff in order to give cheaty time to get back to michael's office and convince michael and do the whole thing because as we i think your ma- your main point is we know now that trevor and michael are on the same team they they had to be in on it but we don't know how because because Michael didn't know that Eleanor was going to out herself. Right. Also, so how on earth, how on earth did the all whole of this... The thing with... Right. How did it all get worked out? And the whole thing with the other Eleanor, in retrospect, also doesn't make much sense. Because, again, the train was pulling away. So, you know, from Chidi's POV, he, he managed, oh, at the last minute to save his Eleanor get the train pulled around but wait a minute they have the other Eleanor on the train the whole time and they never mentioned it and they never told Michael she existed and they were going to bring her back to the bad place even though we have no indication that bad place employees have any interest in it's not like the devil wants more souls right we don't, the the bad place employees have no interest in taking on extra people as far as we've seen they don't want to claim extra souls they want to have the people who are the correct people to be in the bad place and they think that good people are boring and a drag so yeah and it's like, transactional to them it's like you get one we get one right right so so, so you the would fact think that they that, were go ahead i was going to say um you would think that when they got off the train that initially initially that they would have kind of done the swap there yes 
would have been yeah. like I mean I again like I'm not stupid I know how writing fiction works I know that this was a dramatic ending cliffhanger thing but it doesn't work for me in retrospect I mean it shouldn't have even worked for me in the moment quite frankly they, they should have dumped quote unquote real Eleanor off the train the minute they set foot in the good place like oh god we've got this super annoying boring awful goody two shoes here and we can't wait to be rid of her this one belongs to you Michael and we'll take the trash bag yeah yeah, I mean, that one, that didn't bother me as much until you pointed it out, because I do think, like, I get what you said about, you know, we're writing a fiction here, and this is like a, it's, you know, it's all for dramatic effect. So I didn't really mind that. And I think I almost, I had the thought while preparing for this that I kind of wish that we could, like, get in a little time machine and go back and be doing this podcast for the first season, like the first time around, like we're doing for the second season. I thought about that too. Because I think if we had been doing season one fresh, God, we would have just been like, oh my God, there's a real Eleanor. And what are the moral implications of this? And, you know, we like Kristen Bell. and We've gotten to know her, but this poor woman. And she, because they, they deliberately make her look completely like a prisoner of war yeah essentially and in episodes coming up we learn about what we believe is you know her tortures and you know obviously we know because it's the guilty knowledge rewatch that those things didn't actually happen to her and she is an actor in all of this but i do sort of like she looks like she's been through hell literally and so i think it worked for me at the time i think what your point is that watching it again there are some hiccups <laughs> in in how yeah. we sort of think about all these things and view them i also i'm really curious what your opinion is on this because i could not make my mind up on this as i was watching it okay does michael know who killed janet oh you mean in not in the fiction of like in in not in the fiction in the of real- him pretending to be an angel Right. Does real does Michael really know who killed Janet? I don't think so. But then again, like I I can believe that there are certain things about this that are unprecedented and that he couldn't see happening. I can believe that he didn't believe that she was going to out her that Eleanor was going to out herself. I also can believe that he didn't anticipate a Janet being rebooted because why would anybody in this good place do that? So I don't... It it didn't seem to me like he was dangling it in front of anybody as kind of like a, you know, he's in on it, but he wants to watch them squirm. It didn't feel like that. It felt like he's I know, genuinely so I know. trying to figure it out. Well, but he's a consummate actor in this whole season. Yeah, I mean, he's so, you never suspect... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you know, I'm saying like the character himself, you never suspect that this whole thing is a ruse and a farce. So I just was sitting there watching being like, how much does he really know? Is he just obviously he's toying with all of them. But does he really yeah. not know who killed Janet? I mean, he must know it was one of the four humans, right? <laughs> because anything else would be absurd. But yeah, 
does he know which of the four of them it was? Is he just completely playing them like a fiddle? Or is he genuinely like, well, it was one of the four of them. I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that he doesn't know. But, you know, if, if Michael Schur told us otherwise, I would be like, yeah, okay. I mean, just because, to your point, Ted Danson does a great job of playing Michael as you know like a completely overwhelmed manager right in this scenario who is like trying to juggle all these different things and things are coming at him and he's so disappointed in Eleanor and he's disappointed in himself and he's frustrated with Janet and it's just like he seems like a guy who everything that he's worked for is coming apart at the seams and he's trying to like keep it together but that is a testament to both Ted Danson's acting and, you know, in the show, Michael's acting. Right. So I, I don't know. That I, that's, a, that's one for the ages. Listeners, if you have an opinion <laughs> about whether or not Michael knew that who killed Janet, let us know. Maybe we can do a poll or something on the in Facebook. Or on Twitter, yeah. What was yeah. the other thing I was going to ask? Oh, so obviously Michael knows Eleanor's whole life history you yeah. know i mean what when we see him walking later you know season two episode two or something walking with jason and he says that he knows jason's entire life history inside and out so i'm going to assume he's just got the lives of these four guys memorized do you think and i was just thinking this would be sort of like a devilish way to kind of make eleanor feel for a moment like she might have some hope do you think he tailored those questions at the beginning of his interview so that she would say no to all of them because we see from the flashbacks that she watches some really trashy tv is it like real housewives or something yeah she watches real housewives and there's a whole thing about like have you ever watched the bachelor as that's being like a, a huge mark of being a bad person and we hear trevor later mention that yeah, he doesn't want to miss the rose ceremony <laughs> You know, if he had asked, have you ever watched Real Housewives? Of course, the answer would be yes. So I'm wondering if he kind of tailored the question so that she would kind of get a false sense of security, which maybe I'm reading too much into it, but we do do a podcast about this show. So is it possible for me to even read too much into it? (laughs) We're already in it. Uh, We're already into it. Right. No, I actually think I hadn't thought of that, but I actually think that's possible because I also think, you know, those questions are kind of played for comedic effect later on because we, uh, in another episode we we see uh, Jason get the same questionnaire oh, right. and he, he answers all of them yes like almost all of them well not the well he has committed arson because he did blow up yeah, a speedboat it was a major crime uh-huh and he has also attempted robbery because that's how he died i don't think he's killed anybody but like all this stuff about have you ever had a vanity license plate have you ever seen the red hot chili peppers in concert which like I'll be honest, I have never seen them, but I have wanted to see them in concert, and I love their album, so I was Thank a little God bit like, hey, missed- I know. God you miss out on losing your soul. I know, but, you know, have you ever, like, you know, I think the vanity license played and stuff about The Bachelor and stuff, I mean, I, so Jason says yes to all of that, so I think it's also like, you know, we've talked about the comparison before between Eleanor and Jason and how... You know, Jason's just sort of the simple child and Eleanor like has a little bit more depth to her. And so I think that's they're also probably used 
for contrast between the two of them in addition that's a good to, call i had forgotten about that yeah in addition to probably uh michael using it as a way to kind of because he does sort of say very soothingly to her like well you did very well on your questionnaire eleanor and that's when yeah. she she feels emboldened to say like she oh, lets well, down her guard just, like, for a minute yeah she's like can we just like chalk this up to a mistake and can i go home and he's like no what are you talking about so i do i wouldn't put it past him to you know make up that questionnaire and like in a way that would soothe her yeah yeah i think the macro point is just like did he put this all together in a night because she confesses right and then it's nighttime when she confesses it's nighttime and we don't know real well we know later when Michael says to Trevor, like, come get her. It's the middle of... It's the daytime. We don't know exactly what time of day, but the sun is out. So, like, did he have to concoct this entire situation in one night? Because he admits that he didn't know that Eleanor was going to out herself. So, all of the stuff that happened subsequently, like getting Trevor on the phone and having the bad place people show up and going through this whole rigmarole and the, and the new, the real Vic or I'm sorry, the real Eleanor who is actually Vicky. Like, did he have this orchestrated the whole time? Like just as a contingency plan or was he like, that seems crazy to me. It seems crazy to me too. So what did he like? Did he just like the minute that the town meeting was over and Eleanor was like, I it's me guys was, did, was he just like, well, uh, thank you, Eleanor, for your candor. And did he just, like, run back to the office and call Adam Scott and say, like, listen, we have a problem? <laughs> like, because I want to, honestly, I want to get into what Michael and Trevor's real relationship is like. And we have talked about this before, but rewatching yeah, it have. again. What is their relationship like? Because they're both bad place employees. Is Trevor really that much of a trash bag in the real bad place i have no trouble believing that after that cocktail party episode at the end of last that's very true with with uh dax shepherd (laughs) he's basically like he would be dax shepherd's boss probably like he's yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah Yeah. that's true but it's just like then why would he agree to help with this well you know mike michael's sort of the more mild-mannered one he's like the school nerd who wants to like innovate and and trevor sort of like the we've talked about this a little bit before but like trevor sort of the cool you know kid. the yeah like the judd nelson of of this <laughs> scenario yeah so like i we see in season two that sean has a lot of enthusiasm for this project that he but but he doesn't but he has a lot of enthusiasm for it after he thinks it's been working for like years basically yeah. But he doesn't have a lot of enthusiasm for it at this point in the show. He's still very skeptical. Uh, we yeah. remember we see uh we see Sean and Michael have a conversation at some point where Sean essentially voices the opinion like what's wrong with the regular way we do business. Yeah. So it doesn't strike me as plausible that Michael called Sean and said, hey, I need you to, like, order. Because Sean is pretty higher, high up hierarchically. Like, I need you yeah. to order somebody to come and pretend to be a bad place employee or, like, really be a bad place employee. But, like, pretend they're going to take Eleanor away. And then we're going to have a dramatic thing where 
we really don't take her away. And also, I need you to... How did Vicky get... Wait. So Vicky... Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Vicky has it's just been unraveling waiting. more and more. It is unraveling. I'm sorry. Vicky has been waiting in the wings this whole time because she's definitely Michael's employee. That's made very clear in season two. Yeah. So has she been just waiting back at Bad Place HQ, like tapping her foot, like they're going to need real Eleanor one of these days and I'll just be like doing paperwork in the interim. So here's my take on that situation, given what we know, what we learn about Vicky later, is that I think for her, it's like a, a cost. Well, maybe not a cost-benefit analysis, but if for her, it's weighing, like, do I get to be, like, a regular run-of-the-mill cast member who, you know, maybe, like, says something offhand to Eleanor that's, like, a little uh, snarky or whatever. Uh, and, you know, like, there's an episode back where Tahani and Eleanor, like, go visit everybody in the town, and everyone's like, oh, Tahani, you're so great, we love you, and that angers Eleanor. Like, do right. you want to be that person? Or do you want to have essentially a starring role in being Eleanor's no, I mean, I, look, I get like, it. worst nightmare? But they were not. Michael wasn't planning for this all to fall apart so quickly. So again, this was something he wanted to tease out over the course of a millennium, which means that Vicky was going to be waiting back at Bad Place HQ for like potentially hundreds of years. You're right. I didn't think about it that way. Or was it like, okay, he calls Bad Place HQ and he talks to someone and he goes, what I need is someone who's willing to join my project at this date and they haven't been briefed, but they're going to be playing real Eleanor. I need you to find someone like real ambitious with good acting skills, but who isn't on my project yet. And uh, you have six hours <laughs> to get this done. You know what and we need? need? We need a webisode. Uh, I'd said this yeah, about Janet. You've said this before, we, yeah. We, I've said it about Janet, good Janet, learning how to act like bad Janet. I want that webisode. Darcy Carden, I need that webisode. I think we need uh, Eleanor's, uh, the post-confession, like, you know, uh, project manima- management session. <laughs> From Michael, we need like I a think webisode. You mean proj mag sesh. Proj mag, proj yeah. Let's proj do that. Manj. That's wait. <laughs> proj man, proj proj man, sesh sesh. That's yes. Th- that's <laughs> what you. Trevor would call you it. That's it. what Trevor would call <laughs> it. Um, but I think like we need like a webisode where he's like, oh dip, I have to. <laughs> oh fork, I have to like arrange this whole thing because i think you're probably right like if he didn't know any of this was going to fall apart as quickly as it did then vicky would have been signing on at the if she signed on at the beginning would have signed on at the beginning to maybe one day we'll need you which doesn't sound like something that she'd be interested in bingo yeah bingo this is all uh, we need to talk to michael sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we had Michael Schur on here, I would just be hammering him with like, but then it's, you know, like um, that episode of, of Simpsons where Homer is Poochie. Yes. And, and he's in front of like a convention of nerds and with, along with 
uh, a woman who does the voice, I think, for Itchy and Scratchy or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people are getting up in the audience like, uh, in season seven, episode 13, uh, Scratchy, his signature mole is on the wrong side, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's a great, um, I, I retweeted this a little while ago, um, but there's a great interview with John Boyega. He's doing uh, an interview with some guy. I don't. I honestly don't even know where it's from. I just saw the screenshots. And he said, uh, they tell me that I'm not allowed to ask you any Star Wars questions. And John Boyega says, you're not going to listen to that. And the guy says, yeah, exactly. Because uh, I'm going to ask you 38 Star Wars questions. And John Boyega's like, all right, go ahead, do your thing. And the guy goes, number one, in the 1996 video game, Shadows of the Empire. And, <laughs> and John Boyega's The look face, on his face, I remember this now. The look on his face is just like, oh God, what have I got myself into? It's, <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. It makes me laugh every that time. That was exactly what would happen. If I knew Michael Schur was going to be on this podcast, if I had 24 hours notice, I would stay awake for 24 hours and I would do nothing... <laughs> But write questions to hammer him with, like, uh, in episode one, <laughs> sorry, in episode eight of season one, Yes. how exactly did Vicky get involved in this whole project? Because <laughs> yeah, that's what I talk I mean, like. You guys all have yeah. noticed by this point that that's what I talk like. I mean, what's the deal? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's, you know. Michael Schur, we need you. We need you. Or Megan Amram, or any of you, really. We need you. Because I think... I I have a feeling, you know, in doing the Guilty Knowledge Rewatch, we have run across a lot of situations that make sense if you are watching it for the first time and believe that Eleanor really is the glitch in the system and all these different things. But there are, you know, things like, you know, the sinkhole and the plant that blows up when she says something bad about Tahani and, you know, all, all the the trash storm that happens at the beginning. We've had sort of these, I wouldn't call them necessarily up to this point major plot points, but we have had instances where there are inciting and inciting incidents in the episode that you, when you look back on it, you go, huh? And I think this episode in and of itself, the whole thing is an inciting incident that makes you go, huh? When you watch it again. Well stated. Well stated. (sighs) (laughs) Podcast over? I don't know. (laughs) No, I just... No, I'm teasing. I mean, what you want for a show that pulls this kind of trick is kind of, you know, I guess this is the quintessential example, but kind of like Sixth Sense... For you to be able to go back and rewatch and go, oh, now I understand why this and such a thing. Now I see that this was actually significant. Now that scene makes a whole different kind of sense. Which, I mean, M. Night Shyamalan has not exactly covered himself in glory in the intervening years, but the sixth sense still really works from that perspective. You can watch it without the knowledge of the twist and it's a great movie and then you get the knowledge of the twist and you can rewatch it and it's still a great movie and there's a lot of things that you missed before you knew what the twist was and I don't feel the same way about this and like maybe that's okay I mean I'm still gonna keep pointing it out I'm still gonna keep nitpicking it because like I mean it's a podcast and what else do we have to talk about except for the fact that you want to get married to Adam Scott 
I really, really do. But like, they, yeah, it, you know, I we, see where you're coming it from. doesn't it doesn't bear up under a concerted rewatch effort, a a a deep dive into the show. Season one doesn't kind of it can't hold the weight of the twist as well as you want it to. I think they do a better job of, you know, creating in the second season, they do a better job of creating an environment where at the end of it, you go like, oh, man, there was this and there was this and there was this and all these different things. You know, that's what we talked about when you talked about Doctor Who. Yeah. When we talked about the finale that you can sort of go back and watch these scenes and they have a different weight to them afterwards. And I think they did a much better job of that in season two. And I think yeah, season one... Yeah, I mean, I think one, that's because they weren't, they weren't trying to pull one over on the audience. They weren't trying to yeah. perform any sleight of hand. It's not to say that there weren't big reveals in season two, but it wasn't like reverse, double reverse. Oh my God, the whole time, the whole thing was a da-da-da-da-da. You know, they, they were really trying yeah. to... All of season one is a magic trick. And much like a real magic trick, or at least most real magic tricks, once you see how it was done, the magic kind of fades away. Like, you know, David Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear? Uh, do, do you remember I this mean, when know, we were kids? I, I know of... I, rem- I don't remember it happening, but... I see do you the not? Statue I of remember every it was day like a- on my commute. <laughs> Give her a wave for me. I know that she, so I know she hasn't really disappeared. She's still there. <laughs> well, he made her re- reappear, but. Um, oh, okay. You know, they, they t- I was just, you know, I listened to this on a, another podcast. I think it was This American Life or something. Uh, spoilers, I guess, for this Statue of Liberty trick. Um, <laughs> as far, no, I mean, spoilers some people don't like to know. I, I've never heard of a spoiler for a magic trick before. <laughs> some people don't like to know how magic's done. And I respect that. And that's fine. You can turn okay. this podcast off. But, you know, the whole trick is, like, this gr- huge group of people is standing on Liberty Island or something, and, and they're looking at the Statue of Liberty, and then they all have to, like, close their eyes or whatever, or <laughs> something like that, or they they get blindfolded, or they, somehow, you know, their sight is obstructed. And then when their sight is unobstructed, the Statue of Liberty is gone, and then their sight is obstructed again, and when it when it's unobstructed, the Statue of Liberty is back. And the way that this is done is that the people are on a rotating platform and like the accoutrement that they're that they're looking at. So like it's a it's a nighttime stunt and there's helicopters with lights and there's like uh, props and whatnot. That stuff all gets moved while the platform is rotating. So they open their eyes or they their their view is unobstructed and they see the same things they were just looking at, except minus the Statue of Liberty. And then, you know, somewhere David Copperfield is listening to this podcast going like, oh, come on. (laughs) Well, where are you, David Copperfield? What have you done in the last 20 years? I love magic. Come out and do some stuff, bro. Write us an email, David Copperfield. (laughs) Tweet at us. Tweet at us. Anyway. So, I, you know, I watched that on TV. I think a, a ton of people did. And it was always like, oh, my God, how do you do that? That's so amazing. And, you know, I've watched it in the years since, and I was like, I don't know, I, I am very uncreative when it comes to trying to thinking up how people might 
do underhanded things i'm like oh like <laughs> yeah you cannot lie or deceive <laughs> yeah. in any this, way this is a parallel universe i'm not sure but like <laughs> but then you know how the trick is done and you're like oh okay well <laughs> i have you know i mean maybe you want to watch it once more on youtube to be like well i see how that worked and maybe you even like look for some stars in the sky to be like yep those stars are different they definitely were on a rotating platform but yeah it it really saps the moment of its of its magic, so to speak, and I think that that applies to season one of The Good Place. Not entirely because the plot is only a small part of why The Good Place is so amazing as a TV show. You still have the razor sharp humor. You still have the amazing characterizations and relationships, and that's really what holds up on rewatch is like you love yeah. you you know you fall in love with Eleanor and Cheney and even Michael even though he you know does a pretty bad heel face turn in the last episode you know and the world building you know in terms of like all the the funny names for the shops all that stuff that stuff is still there and and nothing can take away from it and that's what you cling on to but the plotting can't the plotting can't support the weight of the trick yeah, when you go back and look at it. And I remember Michael Schur kind of saying, you know, oh, well, we tried to leave hints along the way. Like, what's a, you know, Michael's a demon. So, like, what's a really bad thing to do? He kick, you know, kicking a dog is a really bad thing to do. So he kicks a dog into the sun. And I was like, I'm like, that, you know, or there were a couple other examples, but that's the one I remember because I just remember being like, that's not the thing when I look back at this season. That's not the thing where I where I look at that and go, something's up with that guy. Like something's not not what it seems here, right? Like that just seems to me that he's overreacting, super and stressed out. Yeah, super stressed out and like had a meltdown. And you know, he knows the dog's not actually a dog, right? Because they're all in the afterlife, so. I just think, you know, I think to myself, oh, he just, like, had a moment where he snapped a little bit. But I don't think of that, like, I don't look back at that and go, like, oh, there was some notorious reason behind that. So I, I you know, I, I yeah, think Yeah, I don't that think that they tipped right. their hand at all. I don't think they tipped their hand at all. And I don't, is that playing fair? I don't know. I, I think that it, it can be playing fair. But from, you know, that, yes, Michael Schur has brought that up, like, 20 times. That, like, oh, he kicked a dog into the sun. Like, that's not, come on. <laughs> there is never a moment of the way there are in a lot of sort of mysteries or thrillers where you're like, is that person good or evil? What's going on with them? They they might yeah, be like this you, way. They might be that way. You never see him like people are constantly barging into his office, right? Like, Chidi barged into his office in this episode. You never mm-hmm. see him like getting off of a phone call where he says a shady thing you know, right before he hangs up or you never like hear him say something to off to Janet, like, or you never see him like, you know, looking something interact with one of his many employees interact. Yeah, exactly. Interact with one of the many employees in a way that makes it seem like something's off. And I understand why they would do that to a degree because, you know, they want the final reveal in the end of the first season to land on you like a ton of bricks. And it certainly landed on me. 
Oh, God, me too. And they want, I mean, and it's, a, again, a testament to Ted Danson that in that moment, that with the laugh and the smile in, in, in the last episode, that he completely does a 180. And so this this character that you've known to be, like, kind of neurotic and anxious, but, like, mostly, like, a jovial, good-hearted dude is all Snappy of a sudden, dresser, like... Too. Very snappy dresser is all of a sudden like the most one of the most diabolical people or beings that you know these people have ever encountered. So I get that, but you're right. Like, there's no point in this first season where you really see um, any kind of um, yeah, any kind of like. There's no hat tipping. There's no like little hints for people, you know. It's not called hat tipping. Hand. They don't tip their hand. They don't tip their hand, right. Tipping your hat is hat like, t- I tip my hat to you. Good day good, to good, you. Good day <laughs> to you, sir. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I do think, and I remember, like, going into season two saying, like, oh, my gosh, how are they going to top season one? But looking back on it, season two, I think to your point, because they didn't have this like another ruse that they had to cover up like everything was laid bare we all know that this is the situation and we have to deal with it you know looking back on that i'm very happy that they did that because the alternative that we could come up with in our sort of limited imaginations was that we would have another iteration of season one where eleanor is forced to go through everything and reconnect with all these people, and then she finds out that something's amiss, and we have to go through this all over again. You know, looking, watching season one again, I really, I still really enjoy it. I think for all the things that you said, the humor and everything else. But I'm so glad that they have transcended what they did in season one to be like much more nuanced and interesting and layered in season two. Yeah, I think they really leveled up in season two. Season one is so much about, well... It's a pretty singular premise. Yes. So season one is all about, is just all about Eleanor, Eleanor, Eleanor. I mean, I guess at some point it also becomes about Jason to some degree. But it... It's yeah, it's just not as complex a series of plots, you know. There th- yeah. there is character growth in season 1, but it really only happens to Eleanor, I would argue. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. a little bit in some of the other characters, but really the character growth is restricted to Eleanor. And then in season 2, you have this remarkable character growth in every single one of the principal characters. Every yeah. single one. And yeah. and they manage to keep all those balls in the air and they are not performing any sleight of hand they're not they're not waving their hand over here while they're picking your pocket they are being honest about the plot and they are still knocking out of the park to a degree that they kind of don't in season one on in retrospect i mean i feel like we're being we're being overly harsh maybe because uh, certainly the first time we watched through each of us we were completely flabbergasted by this show i was all in yeah yeah and i still you know, I still love to go back and rewatch some of these episodes just kind of for fun. And, and my firstborn son loves to watch them, too. And in fact, he was watching over my shoulder this evening. You know, Eleanor gets on the train and he's like, Michael's going to save her. You know, she's not going to go. Michael's going to save her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, buddy. I know. I know. <laughs> um, they're just never such get good... a vanity license plate, little one. Just just avoid yeah. that if you can. 
<laughs> yeah. There, you know, it's like it's like eating popcorn. You know, I could go through this season with no problem. I could just rewatch the yeah. whole thing over again. But in terms of where the show has complexity and depth, and what stands up on rewatch as something that you could could analyze and really dive into, you know, what is everybody's motivation and what is everybody learning here, and what does this say about human nature? I think you have way more to mine in season two which makes me very excited for season three yeah season they... three might just be them reading what we owe to each other out loud every week <laughs> hopefully with some like color commentary because i don't know if i would just enjoy that book on its face but yeah i mean i think season three if they have managed to do this in season two i think season three is going to be even better the only thing season two is missing you know what I'm going to say? Is your boyfriend, boy- Adam Scott. My boyfriend, Adam Scott. The only Flash thing husband. that was missing from... Yes. The only thing that was missing from season two. <sighs> what can I it say? It would have been great to see him at the cocktail party, but I guess that would have blown their cover pretty much instantly. But he wouldn't have Not remembered. That they... Wait. He would have. Re- wait. Because he's a bad place. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm even... Yeah. They I mean... wouldn't have remembered, so it would have been a weird asymmetric thing that would have happened yeah they would they wouldn't have remembered but i i would almost in a way sort of like trust trevor to maybe like make them squirm a little bit but you're right if if they don't remember then it wouldn't be quite as as satisfying it would it's really only to satisfy me and my love of adam scott (laughs) (laughs) i mean i just wanted him in the background i'll tell you this I was going to say, he should have been in, like, that boardroom scene with Sean, where Sean says, I'm a naughty bitch or whatever. Yeah, he should have been there. He should have been He should have been in that that scene. And I'm guessing, like, Adam Scott is busy and has his own TV show now, but, like, just pop over for five minutes, get in costume, sit at the table, you don't have to say anything. You're, like, Michael Schur, okay? Like, he, I feel like if Michael Schur texted Adam Scott and was like, will you come do this, like... I feel like they could have done it. Yeah, he should have been in that boardroom. I think that would have been... Or the, you know, the mission control room, the situation room, basically. Yeah. He should have He should have been in the situation room, I think. Because I think, I think you're right. Having him at the cocktail party wouldn't have made a ton of sense. But having him back at Bad Place HQ would have made more sense. And it might have put into perspective his true relationship with michael because i don't i cannot figure that out for the life of me like these are two people who work for the same institution who have like completely different goals and values and personalities and everything and i know that happens in real life but then do you volunteer for that like if if the goody two shoes of your organization is is coming up with a new project does the class clown like volunteer for that or is it just like, well, well that kind of makes me think he got ordered from somebody above him yeah. to do it. But his personality is such that he's almost like a bad Janet because his mm-hmm, personality mm-hmm. is such that if he got an order, would he follow it? Do you think he would have to? Uh, uh oh, boy. I... Am I thinking way too much about this Trevor character no, just I because think, I like you know, him so much? Our, this is our this is our job. I mean, our sworn duty as podcasters. <laughs> I think a lot of it comes down to: Do you think that 
some bad place employees would rather be on this duty or on torturing duty. And we see that a lot of the people that Michael has working in the neighborhood would rather be back torturing. But we see that some of them would rather be doing this, like Vicky would rather be doing this. Yeah. And maybe Adam Scott is like, oh, this sounds like fun. This sounds great. Like, I get to roll in and terrorize this woman. I mean, he does seem legit sexist, right? <laughs> like, he, that's, I get to roll that in. is true. <laughs> yeah. I get to roll in. I get to terrorize this woman. I get to trick all these other humans. I get to be gross and have nice food and, and relax. And, like, for him, it's it's almost like a vacation because... We understand later that life in the bad place normally is, you know, the the demons don't sleep and they don't rest and they don't take breaks from work. They're just torturing all the time. So maybe for him, this is almost like a vacation. You know, he he's he's operating on more like human time in the fake good place, you know, where they all kind of go to bed for the night. He probably gets to do whatever he wants. And then in the next day, it's back to making a woman feel uncomfortable and objectified. <laughs> Just some light harassment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, I that's the best explanation that I, that I have. I would say I've heard, but, you know, I think we're the only two people talking about this. But that's the best. <laughs> that's a, a better explanation than anyone that I could have come up with. Um, so I, I like that. I like that the idea that he's just sort of like, all right, let's, you know, let's try this. If I get to be a jackass and, and like, just goof off and call this woman a trash bag for a while, like, why not? It's like when your work wants to send you on a business trip and, like, the conference is in Disney World or something. And you're like, I don't even <laughs> care that the conference is about, like, how to punch up your quarterly earnings report like it's at <laughs> disney world of course i'm right. going to this thing yeah i mean maybe may maybe he was sort of curious about the neighborhood and to him like maybe a place where he can just get like you know he says in the next episode doesn't he say like he's eating the food and he's like this is gonna make a primo dump later on like he's really oh, enjoying yes, thank you thank you for bringing he's, that up i know he's he's really enjoying you know making a show of enjoying everything so maybe it really was yeah like this is like disney world to him i also wonder i mean and this is complete fiction and conjecture because we never see this but i also wonder if maybe Sean is like asks Trevor to kind of like get some intel on the neighborhood to see how everything's going. So Michael calls Sean and is like, oh my God, Kristen Bell outed herself. I need somebody to come and be a bad place employee. And like, here's like a, a script. I'm going to send it to you or whatever. And Sean's like, oh yeah, I'll get someone to go. And then he's like, hey, Trevor, uh, trusted underling, you go and you like, talk on the slide to the our employees who are there and you see uh, to the greatest extent possible like what exactly is happening that is what you're thinking yeah kind of you know we never see evidence of that but i you know maybe in a fan fiction that i haven't written um that would happen <laughs> our just because i feel like dot org <laughs> <laughs> just because i i do feel like if they do have if trevor and michael have the combative relationship that they have in this episode in real life. Maybe Trevor goes because he wants to pull one over on Michael and like, you know, out, you know, humiliate him a little bit. 
Because things are falling apart for him. Right. I think, you know what we should do, actually? I just had a brainwave. If these episodes are available on DVD with behind-the-scenes commentary, then... We should do that. Maybe some of these questions are answered. I thought you were going to say we should write a spec script, but I like yours better. (laughs) Uh, I would like to continue living in Maryland while writing for your Hollywood TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I live in New York. There's plenty of film and television here. Uh, Law and Order and Law and Order. SVU. Jessica Jones. All right. (laughs) It's not my idea of a good time, but... No. (laughs) If it's yours. Law and Order. (laughs) <laughs> chunk chunk um, <laughs> we should do a law and order podcast after this oh, maybe God, like i don't have enough on my plate and speaking I'm just saying of which in the interim once we feel the or once we finish the season anyway okay Wrapping uh, up. i i am i'm feeling pretty talked out on this episode that's fair that's do we fair. have anything to wrap up with but um we don't have any emails we did uh, officially appoint listener Ian the podcast ambassador. I made that determination. Ian. I made that so determination solo. We, I thought you'd be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, we did this. <laughs> and I'm like, this we. is the first time I'm hearing of this, but cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so now anytime Michael Schur says something on the podcast, so some guy whose last name starts with pause has a podcast. Anytime mm-hmm. Michael sure says anything relevant to the good place, I think Ian's going to report back to us. Ian, I trust you. Yeah, we're we're all depending on you. All fifty of us plus us plus <laughs> us two. All fifty-two of us are depending <laughs> on you, Ian. Don't let us down. That sounds great. I don't. I didn't pull any like uh, articles or anything for this episode because we're in a lull right now. We're in a lull right now. Yeah. 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 But we've got the next episode coming up, which is basically the trial of Eleanor Shellstrop. So, right? And and lots more of Trevor, your boyfriend. My boyfriend, who is a trash person. <laughs> Maybe next episode we can just, like, dedicate a chunk of time to, like, dissecting why I find him so attractive. Because I can't figure it out. That sounds like it might be tedious for the listeners. <laughs> also, it just sounds like I should go to therapy. <laughs> oh my goodness i think we can end it there (laughs) yeah until next time don't think about how hot the train car is all right see you next time ding dongs And I think here I'm going to insert the clip of her saying, is it not her who wants us to leave her or whatever? <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty great line. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs>